You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. It's good to see you all this morning. We're going to look at God's word in just a couple of minutes, but today is a really, really important day. In the day of Grace Christian Church, we do it twice a year. We're going to have our baptisms. 27 people are being baptized after the late service today. So I want to encourage you, even if you've come to the early, come to the late as well. Nobody said amen. (laughs) You're supposed to be kind of like trying to encourage all the young people who are becoming Christians and following the Lord. No, actually, you know, I was going to have the chicken dinner over in Nando's. But that's okay. That's all right. Nobody will be judging you. Nobody will be watching you. You're just fine. I want to first of all to say good morning to those of you in Cafe Church. I hope you're listening. I hope you're tuned in. Good morning. And I hope you're listening to Alistair and you're listening to Stephen this morning, your hosts and your leaders this morning. God bless those men. They're faithful and love the Lord. Would anybody in Cafe Church say amen? And um, we're going to assume that you said amen, okay? Because we can't hear you. Right, moving swiftly on. Will you throw up the first slide for me, please, Josiah? I want to look this morning at a passage of scripture in, that's written very late in the day in the story of the New Testament. And the reason I want to look at this passage of scripture this morning is because I think it is something very important to say that we may not actually get sometimes. You see, sometimes we get the impression that as we go on in life, everything needs to increase and that everything needs to improve and that we need to know more and do more and so on and so forth. And and sometimes as Christians, as we follow the Lord, we can find ourselves saying, am I doing enough? Or sometimes thinking, I can't walk this walk of faith. I, I don't know that I'm able to go this whole journey of faith. I don't know about you. I've been a Christian for 30 years. When I became a Christian and I got baptized, I knew I was being baptized. I knew it was the right thing to do when I was baptized in a cold April afternoon in the River Lee, um, just as an 18-year-old young man being baptized out there. I knew what I was doing. I knew what I wanted to say. But I got to tell you, I didn't really understand. It took me the continuing journey of faith before I really understood what it was that I was doing. There's a big difference between knowing and understanding. And if you want to know the difference between knowing and understanding, you should talk to a 14-year-old and an 8-year-old about life experience. The 14-year-old knows everything. Isn't that right? But the 8-year-old understands a lot more about life. I want to talk to you this morning, this morning's message, as soon as I switch on my clickers, called First Steps, Last Words. And I'm going to be looking at one Peter, or 2 Peter chapter 1, the first chapter of 2 Peter. I'm only going to look at a few verses in it. And I want to delve into this passage. And the reason I want to delve into this is because in this passage, we are reading the last written words of the Apostle Peter. Now, the Apostle Peter was one of the first apostles. Uh, He was one of the first people that Jesus called. In fact, the Gospels account him as being the very first person that Jesus called to follow him. He had at this stage, when he was coming to write this letter, Peter had been following the Lord for probably 40 years. And he had seen thousands, literally thousands of people come to know Jesus. He had seen the gospel revolution be exported into the Roman, into the Roman Empire as it was at the time. And he's writing these letters, this final letter that he wrote, he's writing it while the persecution of Nero is going on in Rome. And thousands, literally thousands, of Christians are being killed all over the Roman Empire for their faith. 
But not only did Peter see thousands of people following Jesus over, the, over his lifetime, sadly, I would suspect that he'd also seen thousands of people fall away. And they fall away for different reasons. And many people fall away, and they fall away for different reasons. Sometimes it can be attack, sometimes it can be failure. The most people fall away because of discouragement. The vast majority of people drift away from their faith. They don't have a eureka moment when they walk away. They drift away. They become discouraged and they walk away. So when you talk about, I want to start this today by looking at the young Peter, because young Peter was, if you read the Gospels, you'll see what kind of a guy he was. He was quite impetuous. He put his foot in his mouth. He made a lot of mistakes. He said stupid things. He even denied Jesus at one stage and nearly lost his faith himself. And that was the young Peter that we read about. And he's kind of out there and he's a bit of a guy and he's a bit of a talker. And he's there in the book of Acts and he's preaching the first gospel message after the ascension of Jesus. And after the coming of the Holy Spirit. And thousands of people come to know Jesus through that process and become Christians. And we read him on, continuing on in his journey through the book of Acts. And then silence. And we return to the story of Peter much, much older. We come to the point where we're talking about an old Peter. And this old Peter is writing a letter to the early, the young Christians. He's writing, when I say the young Christians, to the young Christian church. And he's writing to Christians who have been on the road for a week and a half. And people who've been on the road for a decade and a half. And those who have been on the road following Jesus for a lifetime. And he's writing down the most important things that need to be remembered. So if you will, this is Peter's last will and testament. And he's going to write down what is the most important thing. I think when you read Peter's letter, you think, okay, this is his last chance to tell everybody what the great magic formula or what the real key to success in Christian life is. And he's about to write it down. And people are waiting. You go, this is Peter. He knows how it's done. He knows what to say. He knows what to write he's seen it all so let's see what it is that he says is the best way to live the Christian life he begins by writing this he says Jesus has the power of God by which he has given us everything we need to live and serve God we have these things because we know him Jesus called us by his glory and his goodness I love it when he starts off by saying, Jesus has given us everything we need to live to serve God. You see, you cannot serve God without the power of God at work in you. Did you know that? You cannot please God without the power of God at work inside you. He has given you not a few things. He's not given you most of the bits. He's not given you the odd thing. What has he given you? Everything. He's given you everything everything that you need to serve God. You see, Tom often, we pray here on a Sunday morning and he makes this point very regularly when we stand here to pray. He said, you know, sometimes we can, we can talk like Christians but live like atheists. We can say, well, in actual fact, we say, well, we want God's blessing and then we do everything in our own power and we never ask God's blessing and we never ask for God's power to come into our lives to deal with the situations. And sometimes we can live atheistically as though it's all down to us. Peter is saying, no, it's not all down to you. He has given you everything you need to live the life. He goes on to say this. He said, through these, he has given us very great and precious promises. With these gifts, you can share in God's very nature. And the world will not ruin you with its evil 
desires. So he opens up his final letter by saying, lads, here's the gig. God has given you everything you need. And because of what God has done, you can actually share in the divine nature itself through Christ dwelling in you. Through the Holy Spirit living in you, you can share in that power of God. And then he goes on to reveal the big secret. And here he goes, he tells the big secret. Now I want you to pay attention because it's a really big secret. How are you going to go from the start of your race of faith to the end of your race of faith and get there in one piece? He reveals it like this. And for some reason I just got myself some Welsh up on the screen. Josiah. So plenid he don't ask me why we just got a Welsh verse on the screen. I've never put a Welsh verse. Who put the Welsh verse on the screen? He says, because you have these blessings, do your best to add these things to your lives. Now, he's writing to Christians of all ages. He's not just writing to the newborn Christians. He's writing to people who followed Jesus for 40 years. And he's writing to them and he's saying, this is the gig. Do this and it's going to go well. So he said, here's the magic formula. Do your best to add these things to your lives. And he says this, he says, to your faith, add goodness. Add goodness. Do good stuff. Would anyone say amen? amen? To your faith, don't add badness. Do you know what I'm saying? I've met Christians and I thought, I think he's had badness to his faith. Cranky Christians, add goodness, good stuff, do good things. And then he adds to the rest of the list, to your faith, add goodness. And he goes on. And to goodness, add knowledge. And to knowledge, add self-control, everyone's favorite. And to self-control, he says, add patience. And from patience, add service for God. And to service to God, you should add kindness. And to kindness, you should add love. Amen. So all we've got to do is add all these things to our faith and everything will be fine. Isn't that a wonderful breakthrough formula? You see, this is not an amazing new revelation. This is not, and down from heaven will come angels, and chariots of fire will sweep through your bedroom. No, 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 no. This is believe and add these things to your faith. And none of them are way up there. You know, in the, in, in the Old Testament, Moses warns the children of Israel and, Ro, and, and Paul repeats it again in Romans. He says this, he says, the word of God is not up in heaven. So you, you have to say like, who's going to go up to heaven and get it? And it's not down underneath the earth. So we're going to say like, who's going to go under the sea? Or who's going to go under the earth to get it? He said, the word is very near you. It is right next to you. It's in your heart and it's in your mouth. These are the words that will bring you life. And so that's the exciting for formula. And I have somebody to help me with this. His name is Paddy. And Paddy's going to help me. Isn't this formula so exciting, Paddy? No. Paddy doesn't find that it very, very exciting. I don't think you find it very exciting either. Do you know why? Because how we start our race is how we need to finish our race. My wife, my darling wife, is always saying it's not how you start, it's how you finish that counts. And what he's saying is that whether you're in the start of the race, or the middle of the race, or the end of the race, you need to be adding these things to your life. 
But he adds something very important at the end of that. It may seem like a boring list. Maybe you prefer chariots of fire and burning angels appearing in your bedroom. Or swords flashing back and forth within your church meetings. Maybe that's what you would prefer. But he says it's really simple. And this is the important part of what he's about to say. He says this. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Does anybody here want to be effective in their faith? Keep your hand up. Does anybody here want to be productive in their faith? Want to bear fruit in your faith? Well, here's what he's saying. It's really simple. There's no magic. It's no amazing, mysterious formula. He says, keep doing goodness, faithfulness, perseverance, patience, self-control. Just keep doing it. Just keep, keep showing up and keep doing it. And that is how your life will bear fruit. And that's what I want for my life. I want my life to bear fruit. And as I'm reading these passages in the scriptures, I'm going, you know, it's not some kind of amazing breakthrough revelation. It's really, really simple. It's putting one foot in front of the other and it's keeping, keeping going. And why does he write this? He writes this because, you know what? We live in, I mean, go back 2,000 years when he was writing this. He was writing maybe 1,900 years ago. But when he was writing this, imagine his world wasn't unusually distracted. There wasn't any radio. There wasn't any TV. There wasn't any internet. I mean, there wasn't cars. There was barely the wheel, for goodness sake. There had, they had nothing compared to what we have now. And he was saying, lad, the, the world's desires are going to come in and they're going to ruin your life. No, anybody you hear who has the internet, who has Netflix, a television, a radio, or even has eyesight and hearing knows that the messages you're receiving every day are not exactly the messages that are going to build up your faith. They're going to do the opposite. They're going to pull you away. And so therefore we need to listen to God's word and exercise it and put one foot in front of the other and just add, just add to your faith, add a bit of goodness and to your goodness, add a bit of perseverance and to perseverance, just add a bit of patience and to patience, just add a bit of self-control and just add a bit of kindness, show kindness to your brothers and sisters in Jesus. Would anyone say, show kindness to the people around you? Guys, if you're a man, I'm going to get this off my chest. And we're in a church meeting, and there's a woman standing who has no seat. Get up off your backside and give the lady a seat. Amen. Chivalry is not dead. If you're walking through a door, instead of going, I'm going through the door and slamming it behind you, would you hold the door open for the person behind you? Yeah? Yeah? If you see somebody waiting for the lift and they're trying to get into the lift, don't go, well, I'm here for Jesus only. Help them get into the lift. Hello? If some child goes past you and spills coffee, don't go, well, those parents are dreadful. Do something about it. Would anybody say? It's kindness, lads. Show a bit of kindness. Because if you don't show kindness, you'll never show love. I love everybody because Jesus is in me, but I hate my neighbor, Mary. I don't have a neighbor called Mary, just for the record. All of my neighbors love me, and I love all of my neighbors. With a warmth and an affection, unbecoming a man of my upbringing. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. It's really simple. It's doing the simple stuff well. That's what it is. Every great team that has ever played in the world has done one thing. They've done the simple things well. 
And whatever country you're from, imagine you're a country, you're, you're, if you're from Spain, anybody here from Spain? If you're from Spain, it, in, Iniesta is not just the guy, it's the whole team who does it well. Anybody from Brazil? It's Neymar Jr. Anyone from Brazil? No one from Brazil. I give up. They all come at I know there's a few Brazilians. There's a few Brazilians. Neymar Jr., if you're, if you're with Germany, Miroslav Klose, or one of these guys, if you're from Poland, Robert Lewandowski, these guys don't operate in, you know, they've got great talent, but they're very disciplined, and they keep on showing up, and it's their team, and they do the basics really, really simple. Let me give you an example. Imagine you were picked for the space program, right? So you're picked for the space program. And they say, right, this is what we want you to do. We want to hire you to take a rocket to the moon, okay? Now, has anybody here been to the moon? If you have, we'll be laying hands on you afterwards. No, you haven't been to the moon. Maybe only in your dreams or in your imagination. So you're going to take a rocket to the moon, okay? And, and they select you and they say, no, no, we want some real qualities. We, they, when, they, when they hire somebody to, to fly a rocket to the moon, they're not looking for somebody who's got lots of daring do. They're not looking for somebody who's going to fly up into, into the stratosphere and say, you know what? Today we're going to go to Neptune instead. No, they don't want that. They want somebody who will just follow orders. They want somebody who will do exactly what mission control in Houston say you're going to do. That's what they want. They don't want to infinity and beyond. They want yes boss, no boss, three bags full boss. You're flying around in a billion dollar rocket. They don't want you to be going, you know, I think I'd rather go through a McDonald's drive through and get something on the way up. Would that be all right? No, they want you to obey orders. Here's a picture of the three guys who went up in the Apollo 11 spacecraft. Does anybody know their names? Neil Armstrong, correct? Buzz Aldrin, who's the last fella? Francie O'Donovan. Francie O'Donovan, Francie O'Donovan, Miss does anybody know the name of the last fella? Michael Collins is his name. No, it's not Michael Collins, the big fella. From West Cork, leading the West Cork Brigade. This is Michael Collins. Oh, he's, he was an Irish-American. He's still, he's still going, no, 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 no. You don't get away that easily, Michael. So here is the three guys. Here we got Buzz Aldrin. Over here, Buzz is still alive. Hey, Buzz, how are you doing, man? Buzz is still alive. If you ever saw Buzz Aldrin being interviewed, you'd go, what a boring man. He said to him, so what, is, what was it like on the moon, Buzz? Well, it was very dusty on the moon. And what was it like going on the rocket? You know, the G-forces were very, very interesting. You kind of go, Buzz, I'd rather go for beer with someone else if that's okay with you. So there's Buzz, and he's going, I'm going to the moon. And the best of all, I think, is Neil Armstrong. Here's Neil Armstrong, right? Neil Armstrong here. Neil Armstrong thinks he's going to Smith's Toys. Yay! I'm going up in a rocket! Yay! The only one who wears a face of concern is the Irish-American Michael Collins. And you know what he's thinking? Uh-oh, I'm going up to space with these two. I could be in trouble. <laughs> and so when they're up there and they're flying along in space, they don't want Michael Collins, who, by the way, was the, who was the, guy, the guy who was really the guy who was flying the whole operation. These two lads were kind of there doing experiments and walking around the moon and all that kind of boring stuff. He was actually doing the important stuff here. He was actually flying the space module. So when he's flying along, he doesn't kind of radio ground control. Uh, ground control, this is, uh, this is Apollo 11. Beep. Go ahead, Apollo 11. Beep. Uh, we were thinking we might go to Venus instead of the moon, if that would be okay with you. Beep. Oh, yeah, sure, go ahead, no problem. See you in a few months. Beep. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. They went up, and they did the basics right. And every time they simulated their takeoff, they would say things like this. Uh, Houston, we're going to do the checklist. Beep. 
Retro boosters, check. Beep, check. Stratosphere lifters, check. Thank you, good man yourself. <laughs> I love you, Kevin. Rocket one, check. Thanks, Kevin. I, I, can't, I have to lose my train of thought now. And a million times they went through the checklist, and apparently the checklist had 487 items on it. I just made up that number there, by the way. Um, there was about 4 million things on this checklist, and before they took off, it was, check that switch, check, check the switch again, check, check the switch one more time, check, I checked it! They had to continually check. Why? Because they had to do the basics right. You don't go to the moon unless you do the basics right. The best of all, however, was a couple of moon missions later, Apollo 13. Does anybody know what happened to Apollo 13? That was a fun one. So they're 200,000 miles away from Earth on their way to the moon. And then something blows in a tank, one of the power tanks, one of the power cells on the spaceship blows. You can read it up on Wikipedia or you can just watch the movie if you want to. Anyway, but in it, you, everybody knows the famous line from Apollo 13. Who doesn't know the famous line from Apollo 13? Ah, uh, Houston, we've had a problem. Beep. I know you're going to say, no, the line is, Houston, we've got a problem. That's not true. They put that in the film, okay? Read your real history. They said, Houston, we've had a problem. And what happened in the next few days is, and over the next four, four days, Houston, ground control, am I, are you still with me? Because I thought you might fall into a coma. In, I mean, in, in ground control, right, they're, they're basically trying to figure out how are they going to get these three spacemen back to Earth without everybody dying and a whole tragedy. Meanwhile, the whole world is looking at these events. What happened? Here's what happened. Down in Houston, in, 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 in control, in Houston, in Texas, in America, they got all the space engineers in. And all the space engineers who were involved with this program invented and worked night and day to figure out a way that they could keep these three men, not these three, but the three on the Apollo 11, or the Apollo 13 flight, alive on the way back. And it was very simple. If Houston said, put the screw into the bolt and turn it once. They didn't go, Erish, we don't need the bolt. We'll just put in the screw and turn it four times. No, they did exactly what Houston told them to do. Because if they didn't do exactly what Houston told them to, go, to do, they were all going to die. Let's close in prayer. If they didn't follow orders, it was their lives that they would pay the price with. Because they had to do the basics right and they had to do the simple things well. Are you with me? Do you see where I'm going? You see, the Christian life is not daring do and amazing, incredible events and amazing, incredible angels appearing, though that does happen and incredible events do happen and amazing things do happen. And Christians do show amazing courage, especially in the face of persecution. In truth, what it is, is adding to your faith goodness and to goodness Add endurance, and to endurance add patience, to patience add self-control, to self-control add kindness, and to kindness add love. If you do these things, they will keep you from being unfruitful and unproductive. Meanwhile, back with the bowl, Peter. And Peter says something important. You're going, you know what? I came to church this morning, and I could have read that myself, and could have figured it out myself, and that's just fine, and I'll tell you why. Peter says something important. He's, 
He's about to die and he says this. He says, I will always remind you of these things even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth. I think it is right to refresh your memory and I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. That's why he was saying and reminding him of the basics because he was about to die. He knew he was going to die in the, in the persecution of Nero. He knew as a Christian his days were numbered and he wanted to say to the Christians, lads, these are the most important things that you must do. Take it not from me. Take it from an apostle who walked with Jesus for 40 years, knew him well and wanted to pass on the most important things. He said, I know you know them and you know them. Do you know them? Correct, that's the correct answer. I know you know them, but it's important that we be reminded of them. C.S. Lewis, writing in his book, Mere Christianity, said this. We have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief nor any will automatically remain alive in the mind. It must be fed. It must be fed. So when you get to the Gospel of Luke, you go, ah, you know, I read Luke before 10 years ago. Look, I, I, I know the story. Jesus came, born in manger. Ah, should we know the gig? No, you must remind yourself of what you believe. Do you know why? Because we forget, don't we? We forget things, don't we? We forget even really basic things at times. I forget people's names. It's actually happened to me a lot more lately. I'm calling people Jerry and I'm calling them Brian. I'm calling Brian, Jerry and John, George. And I even called them Mary, Tom once. And that was a bit of, a, bit of an issue. But you can forget such basic things at times. And there's a difference between remembering and understanding. All the way through the Old Testament, Moses is continually saying to the people of Israel, remember, remember, remember. Remember what God has done. Tell your children about it. Write it on your hands. Write it on the doorpost of your house. Talk about it as you go along the road. But keep on reminding yourselves that God is alive and that he is at work in your life. Put the reminder in. And you know, here's the thing with, with Peter. Peter was probably telling them, you already know them. But now as an old man, as an old Christian man, he was saying, but I understand why it's important to remember these things. And sometimes our lives can be in a bit of a situation like that. Sometimes our lives can be in a situation where we know that our circumstances may not be the greatest but we don't understand why God is leading us through a particular situation. We don't understand why things happen. The difference between knowing and understanding is knowing, I know that my wife loves me and married me. But I can't understand why she married me and she still loves me. There's a difference. I, I, I don't get it. Knowing, anybody can know. I know that these walls are holding up this building. But I don't necessarily understand all the laws of physics that are allowing that to happen and sometimes we can know that our situation is good or bad and not understand and sometimes we need to say Lord would you reveal to me I need to understand more of why you're bringing me through this situation but if not I trust you by faith amen he finishes up this chapter by saying this he says if you do these things you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Now you go, I'll never fall. Yeah, you'll never fall. 
You might stumble, but you'll never fall when you're trusting in God. When your faith is in Him, you'll never fall. And the thing that you need to get into your head, we all need to get into our heads and hearts, that when the Bible refers to falling, for instance, in the, in the, in the Psalms, it says, He will not let you fall. He will never leave you and He'll never let you fall. And you go, well, well I, I, I fell yesterday, didn't I? I mean, I sinned. That's not what it's talking about. That's not the fall that Paul, or Peter in this case, is talking about. Nor the fall that uh, Paul talks about, nor the fall that the psalmist David talks about. That's not the fall. The fall he's talking about is the fall that leaves you forever separated from God. Completely separated from your faith. If you seriously trust, if you seriously follow, if you seriously commit your energy to following Jesus, you will never fall away. You will never fall away. That's a promise of God, brothers and sisters. If you're trying your best, there's nothing is going to drag you away. Paul says, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who saved us. Would anyone say? Do you believe it? How's about believing this? Paul writes to the Philippians. He's coming to the end of his days. He's in prison. He's in Rome. He knows, he knows the end is coming. Not quite. He's not quite there yet. He writes some more letters. And he says this to them. He says, this I know. I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished. Until it is finally finished. He starts. He finishes. Would anyone say Amen. We start, and if we start in the way that the apostle and the teachings of the scripture tell us to do, that is exactly the same way in which we will finish. We start and we finish. And sometimes we are in a situation where we have to say, Lord, you know, in the New Living Translation it says, make every effort to lay hold of God's promises. Make every effort to lay hold of God's promises. God's promises are not out there floating in the middle distance, you know, floating out in space going, well, these promises are out there. He says, make every effort to lay hold of God's promises. Pursue the promises of God. Has God given you promises? He's given me promises. Do I have responsibility to the promises of God? Yes, I do. I have a promise to pursue them. They don't just float out there in the middle of nowhere. We pursue them. We go after them. Has God given you a promise for your children, for your wife, for your home, for your job? Well, the Lord has promised me I'm going to find a job. And so therefore, I didn't put a CV into one company because I know somebody's going to knock on my door and give me a job. Is that how you pursue the promise, God's promise of a job? No, you pursue it. You make every effort to pursue. I want to pray as we finish this morning for two things. One, that we would realize that within us is the power to live the life that God has called us to live. Because sometimes we think, do you know what? It's all just up to us. It's just up to us and rise or fall, it's all down to me. It isn't. God has given you everything. And I know that there's some here this morning who've considered just giving up because you're kind of saying, you know what, I don't know how long I can keep going. But I tell you this, God has given you everything you need. You need to depend on him. And the second thing I want to pray for is that we would pray that we would do all, we would, we would use all of our efforts to do everything, to lay hold of that which God has promised us. Have you got a promise this morning? If you've got a promise, will you raise your hand? You want to lay hold of that promise? Let's stand. Can I ask us all to stand? Let me get the worship band up.
We're going to sing a piece from the song Christ is Enough. Just before we go to that song, just a second, Josiah, just before you go to that song. After the next meeting, we'll be baptizing 27 people in water by the look of things. 27 people are going to be following, will be declaring that they have decided to follow Jesus. But the decision is the start of the journey. Saying I have decided is not the end. It is only the start of the amazing, incredible, God-blessed, God-empowered plan for these people's lives. But it's the same for you. If you say this morning, I have decided I'm going to pursue the promises and purposes of God in my life. That's the start of that journey, not the end of it. But you will end that journey just like you started it. Are you with me? Let's sing. Let's worship God and we're going to pray in a few seconds. Christ is enough. Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. Everything I need is in you. Everything I need, Christ is enough. Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. Everything I need is in you. Everything I need, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. The cross, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. Let's pray. If you want to say, Lord, would you give me your power? Will you remind me of the power that you've given me? Everything I need to live a life that pleases you. I am not on my own. Lord, would you pour your power into me again? If that's your prayer this morning, would you raise your hand? If you've got a promise... And you want to say, Lord, I want to do everything within my power to pursue the promise of God in my life. Would you raise your other hand? Let's pray. I'm conscious it's just run over by a couple of minutes. So I'm just going to pray as we are. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you. Lord, that you began a good work in every one of us and you will bring it to completion. I thank you, Lord, you will not abandon us. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. And as long as we are trusting in you, you will not let us fall. Lord, I pray that we would be awake, Lord. I pray that we would know and understand that the power of God is available to each and every one of us. 
to live the life you've called us to live, Lord. Where we struggle with kindness, Lord, we can say, Lord, would you empower me to be kind? Where we struggle with love, can we say, Lord, will you give me the power to love? Where we struggle with patience, Lord, will you give me the power to wait and be patient? Lord Jesus, I pray that we would remember your power is available to us because of what Jesus Christ has done. Lord, we bring our promises before you, Lord. Every one of us, Lord. But the vast majority of us here, Lord, have dear and precious promises, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would do everything within our power to pursue the promises of God in our lives. Would anyone say amen? Lord, I pray we wouldn't give up to discouragement or distraction. Would anyone say amen? Lord, I pray we wouldn't give up to apathy or we wouldn't give up to attack of the devil. But Lord Jesus, that we would pursue with all of our strength, with all the power that is within us, the promises that you have made to us, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that what you started in our lives, you will finish. Those that you call after you, Lord, across that start line, you will see them through to the finishing line, Lord. Lord, we ask you that as we go from here today, that you'd bless the week ahead, Lord. We pray, Lord, that your promises would be foremost in our minds, Lord. Lord, that faith would arise within us and that we would trust in you for your power because you will never leave us and you will not let us fall. Go with us, bless us, bless our families, bless those belong us, bless our baptism service. In a half an hour's time we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said. May God bless you, brothers and sisters, and go with you. Like I said, it'd be great if you could stay. If you want to stay where we're doing baptisms immediately after the next service. I'll be speaking again, but I promise I'll keep it a lot shorter. Okay? Don't forget, we have tea and coffee. We're serving tea and coffee upstairs in the atrium. We're here again on Tuesday night. God bless and keep you and go with you. The guys are going to play us out. Thanks, lads.